Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. This weekend, we're starting a new series, and we're going through this series as as a church in all of our groups, student ministry, children's ministry. So if you've got kids, um, they're going through some of these same things. You can talk about it at home. Would encourage you to do that. Our groups are gonna be going through some of this material in a little more depth. So if you're not in a group, jump in a group. Uh, But we're gonna be in this series called Becoming who God made you to be, which is another way to talk about the word sanctification. The Bible would teach that when we come to Jesus, there is justification, that is that we are made right in God's eyes, that we receive the righteousness of Christ, our sins are forgiven. You can circle that date on a calendar, you can point to it and say, this is when it happened, when I became a follower of Jesus. But the sanctification process doesn't happen all at once, it is ongoing. We are always in the process of becoming, and the Bible would teach that that is true until the day we die or Jesus returns. The Bible says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So we're all works in progress. Nobody here's made it. There's no one here who's arrived and said, okay, I'm officially there. Like we're all in the process of becoming. That's true anyway. Uh, We're all different now than we used to be. You know that, you look in the mirror, it seems obvious enough. You ever get caught off guard by it though? Like you, um, you look in the mirror, you see a picture of yourself and you're like, is that what I look like now? Like it just <laughs> happened and you're not even sure how it happened. Like I was reading this week that the human body is made up of 30 trillion cells and that every day 300 billion cells replace themselves. Right, like we are physically a different person than we were years ago. And, and so we're always in the process of becoming, but that's, that's true in every area of our life, not just, not just physically. And, and so the question that I really want us to wrestle with in this series and I wanna challenge you with is to, to think about who you're becoming. Like, how do you feel about that? That's good, you got somebody's <laughs> confident. My hope is, my hope is that we learn to fully put our trust in Jesus and find strength in him to become who he has made us to be. Like our definition of what it looks like to be successful or become successful should be defined not by culture or not by uh, parents, not by Um, a school, not by a degree on a wall, but it should be defined by scripture. So we're gonna talk about that from Galatians chapter five as a church family. Um, There's a list in Galatians five, you'll be familiar with it, at least many of you will be. It's it's called the fruit of the spirit. We're gonna unpack this list and as we do it, we'll teach through some of Galatians and other passages in the New Testament, but it's a list of characteristics that I think most of us would look at and say, well, I wanna become more that way, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Did I get them right? I think so. I think I got them all. Hopefully I didn't add any to it. But there's these fruit of the Spirit that we want to describe us. At the very least, I would say we would want this to describe different um, people that we do life with, right? Like 
if you have a roommate, you're probably hoping that your roommate is growing in some of these ways. Like if you have a coworker, you're like, wouldn't it be great if my coworker comes to the series and grows in, oh, I don't know, kindness, for example. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you have a spouse and you're hoping your spouse will grow in these ways. Certainly if you have kids, you're hoping your kids will become more and more like this. Like we look at these words and sure, sign me up for that. I'd like to be more this way. How do we do that? There's no easy button for it. Our tendency is to think about this mostly in terms of self-help, but if you've tried that very much, you know that doesn't tend to work very well either, at least not for all of them. Maybe you do okay with one or two, but the others you're like, well, that's just not how I'm wired. And and so how do we grow in, in all of these fruit of the spirit? We're gonna talk about that. And my question for you as we do this is, are you, are you gonna be passive in the process or are you gonna be purposeful? Are you gonna be intentional or is it just gonna be accidental? Um, Galatians is gonna help teach us to be purposeful and to be intentional. I wanna start off by just talking about the first word on this list, love. Love is a little bit challenging to talk about just because culturally it's it's contaminated, meaning that we use that word in all kinds of ways. You use it for your favorite taco place, you use it to describe how you feel about a child. Love. When Paul uses the word love here in the fruit of the spirit, he has four different words to choose from. You've probably heard some version of this before. The word he uses is the word agape, which is the word from the first century uh, for love that we're most familiar with because it's the word the Bible, New Testament often uses. In that culture, the churches there in the region of Galatia who received this letter, agape wasn't the word they would have typically used for love. So he's using a word that they're familiar with but wouldn't have been part of their common language or experience to elevate what love looks like. To say "This this is the kind of love that you need to grow in. It's a love that's unconditional. It's a love that is not dependent on someone's worthiness. It's not dependent on someone's performance. It's not contingent upon like criteria or conditions or feelings or emotions. Like our tendency is to define love as I'll love you because if you go to Hallmark and you pick out a card, let's say for Valentine's Day, almost every card will be something along the lines of I love you because you are this way. I love you because of what you do for me or how you've earned it. That's how we tend to think of love. Here's how I would define agape love as it relates to how we love one another. It's loving someone no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, and no matter how you feel. No matter who they are, they might be very different from you. They might have different political persuasion or social convictions. They, they might have very different backgrounds. Um, They might have a difficult past or challenging baggage that they carry with them. You might not feel loving towards them. Agape love is loving someone no matter who they are, what they've done, no matter how you feel. So how do we grow in that? I think the people who test whether or not we're growing in that kind of love tend to be difficult people, high maintenance people. 
Like, if you think of yourself as a loving person, you can't use your grandma as the test. Like, you can't say, well, I know I'm loving because, you know, my grandma who makes incredible cinnamon rolls and always tells me nice things, she's, she says I'm loving. I know how much I love her. And that's not the test. Your grandma's not the test. Like, who's, who's the test? It's the difficult person. It's, it's, it's when someone hurts you and you pay attention to how you respond. Like, do you go around and you talk badly about them and you let the root of bitterness grow? Or do you, do you love them? It tells you something about where you're at in this process of becoming, or maybe it's a coworker that just is draining and wears, wears you out, or it's a spouse who is demanding and seems impossible to please, or it's a friend who doesn't include you, or it's a mom who's critical, or a dad who's indifferent, or it's in-laws who are dismissive and demeaning. Like, these are the people that test how we're growing in agape love. Uh, this past week, one of my daughters, her, her car was rear-ended, and uh, she's fine, everybody's fine, but it, the car was totaled. And so I spent some time this week trying to help her find a vehicle to replace the one she had. Some, some things online have changed since the last time I went car shopping and they have more tools, more gauges, metrics that you can use to help you find the right car for you. And one of the gauges they had online was this um, low maintenance to high maintenance gauge. And it just took all these vehicles and and, uh, measured them based on the lowest maintenance and the highest maintenance. It's really, really helpful. I found myself thinking, I wish I could shop for people this way. Like it would be, <laughs> it would be really helpful. Because I, I mean, one of the things that struck me is the most high maintenance vehicles are, are some of the most beautiful vehicles. Like they are well designed on the outside and they're high performance and they look great. And if you didn't know better, you'd say, well, I, I, want, I want that vehicle. I, that, surely that is a low maintenance vehicle. It is not a low maintenance vehicle. Like it requires a lot of upkeep and expense. And, and, and people are like this. Like sometimes we're drawn to people and we're thinking that's the, that's the person. That's the person I wanna be around and connect with and, and we find out, oh, they're really high maintenance. Like, it uh, doesn't take very long to figure out that. And then the opposite's true, right? Like some people are really low maintenance, but you wouldn't guess it at the beginning. So you just don't know. I, I'm just saying it would be nice if, it would be nice if, if people just let you know in advance. Like, hey, I'm Kyle, I'm high maintenance. Like, it would be great if that was just like part of the name tag approach. Uh, I read a book some time ago called High Maintenance Relationships. And I, I read it because I had one of those in my life and I wanted to figure out how to, to love that person better. And uh, they, the author had this list of uh, descriptors or characteristics of high maintenance people. So I'm gonna go through this list rather quickly, but I just want you in your mind, this is a really unhealthy exercise, but it'll lead us somewhere. I want you to identify like who that person is for you. Now don't say their name out loud and don't, like, don't point to the person next to you. Like I get it, we all have those people, but let's just walk through these together. There is the critic, the person who is is constantly complaining and pointing out other mistakes, other people's mistakes. And no matter what, there's always something to complain about and 
mistakes that can be improved on. And there's the martyr. It's the person who is always the victim, uh, always blaming people and circumstances and they never feel appreciated. And you find yourself when you're with them trying to appease them and apologize. You apologize all the time for everything and, and yet they don't ever really do that in return. Uh, there's the wet blanket, the person who is uh, pessimistic and automatically negative. Like they just can't help themselves. Like I, I was at this uh, wedding and we were sitting with some other couples that we, we know pretty well. And, and there was uh, one person in that group who's kind of this way. I'm kind of, I'm kind of being that way by saying he, he's that way, but that's okay. Like he's just automatically negative. And after the wedding, I hear him say, that was a beautiful wedding. And I'm like, okay, good for you. Like really good. And then it, like he just needed to swallow. He wasn't finished. Yeah, he was just taking a breath. That was a beautiful wedding. I'm surprised the groom didn't try to lose about 10 pounds. I'm like there, there it is. Like I knew, I knew it was there. And, and you have people like, like they just can't seem, they can't seem to help it. There's the superstar who has to be the center of attention. They love the spotlight. They, they have to be the center of attention in every room they're in. There's the um, steamroller who's boldly insensitive to others. So they say things that are you know, inappropriate, things that are really hurtful, and then they act innocent about it. Like it's that person's problem for being hurt. Uh, they justify, oh, just the way I am. I'm, I'm just a straight shooter. And you're like, well, you're just a something, but there's... <laughs> The, the control freak is another one, um, the person who has to be in charge. There's the backstabber, which is the person who just can't be trusted. They'll not talk to you about whatever problem they have, but they're happy to talk to everyone else about whatever problem they have with you. There's the sponge, constantly in need, but never giving anything back. And when you're around this person, like you can just feel your emotional energy just leaving your body. Like the, it's just draining. I'll add one more to this list. I'll, I'll say this, um, this self-righteous uh, show-off. And it's the person, I don't know if you know anybody like this, that goes through an exercise like we just did, and they have no trouble identifying all kinds of people that they do life with who are this way, and it never occurs to them that maybe one of these describe themselves. Like, they, they, never, they never think, well, maybe I'm this way. No, everybody else has some things, but they don't have any... The, most difficult high maintenance people are the ones that don't seem to realize that they can be that way too, right? So we have these people in our lives, challenging, difficult people. I've had some, you know, a little bit of fun with this, but I mean, a lot of you could tell some stories that are, are not fun. Like they are hurtful and people who've caused all kinds of damage and you're really struggling with bitterness and anger that you can't seem to let go of. People who have, um, have created messy situations that you've had to clean up and like, I get it. How do we love those people? How do we grow in love for them? Because they test whether or not this fruit is, is becoming in our lives. The world's love is based on a feeling, but this kind of love in Galatians 5 is, is based on a decision. The world's love is based on conditions, but this kind of love is committed. The world's love is selfish. This kind of love is sacrificial. The world's love, and we've talked about this, is tribal, largely tribal and transactional. Like, I'll love you as long as you're in my tribe, 
I'll love you as long as we see these things the same way, as long as we're on the same page over here. But if you're different from me, if you have different perspectives or views, if, if you're too different from me, then not only do I not love you, I, I don't wanna have anything to do with you. That's the world's love. Or it's transactional. I'll step over the line and I'll love you as long as you can do something for me, as long as I get something from you. And, and that is not the kind of love that we're talking about here from Galatians 5. It's a love that's inclusive and generous. The world's love says, if you love me, you will affirm me. Agape love says, I will love you even when I think you're wrong. Uh, the world's love says, if you love me, you'll, you'll tell me I'm right. And the agape love says, I, I will love you enough to tell you the truth. World's love says, if you love me, you'll agree with me. Agape love says, I, I will do something harder. I will love you even when we disagree, or I'll love you enough to disagree with you. And so it's a different kind of love. How do we grow in that? Let's just put that list back up on the screen here. Really, how do we grow in any of these things? As we start the series, I, I want to especially underline, highlight one big truth that I think has the power to unlock this kind of becoming in your life and in my life, this kind of fruit that all of us want to grow in. And that is that this list is not a list of self-improvement. It's a list of spirit empowerment. Like if, if you come... If you come this next number of weeks and you see this as a self-improvement list, it's gonna be rough. Because what'll happen is we'll talk about joy next week and you'll walk out thinking, okay, I'm gonna be more joyful. Here's my list of things that I need to do. You'll start off saying, be joyful, be joyful. What's wrong with you? And you'll feel this pressure to be joyful and you won't feel a lot of joy. And then we'll get to peace, but you're still working on joy. Now you've gotta have some peace and then we'll get to patience and you've already lost all of that because you're struggling with joy and, and you have no peace in your life. And it'll just be this exhausting, it'll be this exhausting list. It won't work. It's not a self-improvement list. It's a spirit empowerment list. You gotta see it that way. And for many of us, that means getting over this uh, religious approach that we grew up with, that God expects or what God wants most from you is behavior modification. That you've, you've gotta be a good girl and a, or, and a good boy and, and that's what he's gonna bless. And, and some of you are like, well, yeah, isn't that, isn't that it? Isn't that why we're all here? Nope. We are here because we recognize we're not good. Only Jesus is good. Yeah. We're here because we recognize we can't do those things we're sinners, but Jesus, power of the Holy Spirit in us, can bring these things, this fruit in our lives in, way, in ways that we just can't do on our own. And I, I'm convicted about this, even as I listen to sermons about the fruit of the Spirit this last week, I'll tell you that it's hard sometimes to tell the difference between a sermon and a TED talk when you're talking through some of these things. Like there's something wrong if the preacher starts to sound like, you know, some cross between Tony Robbins and Matt Foley. Like it, it shouldn't, you like that one. Uh, it, shouldn't, it, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. It, it is the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of self. And, and if you approach it as like this list of um, chapters in a self-help book, there's gonna be a lot of frustration and there's gonna be a lot of exhaustion. Um, Paul writes to the churches in the region of Galatia because a lot of them have slipped into that mentality. 
they started off as followers of Jesus being transformed by the Holy Spirit, but they had begun to put more and more of an emphasis on their own, on their own effort. And so he writes about this in, in Galatians 3, uh, verse 3, and he says to them, how foolish can you be? Remember, he's loving here. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? What are you doing? You started understanding that you've received this gift of the Holy Spirit and that if you want transformation and growth that needs to come from your relationship with him, but, but now you're trying to become perfect out of your own human effort and you know that doesn't work. Why would you, he says, why would you do that? I think there's all kinds of reasons why we do that. Makes us feel better about ourselves and we, we like to measure ourselves and look what I got done and here's what I've accomplished and we like to point to it, but it, it doesn't work. I, um, I found a, an illustration a number of years ago that really helped me with this. To picture a power strip. Let's just say this is from an office. And, and in your office, you have a number of things that you need to plug in. You got your computer, you got your printer, you got your phone, things that need power to them. So you plug all those things into this power strip and then you look around the office and you recognize that whoever built the office forgot to put in wall outlets. There's nothing to plug this into. But you really need all those things powered up. And then it hits you, oh, there's an extra outlet on this power strip. Problem solved. Like this is not an effective approach. And, and yet I would say this is what religion does to us. I think this is what um, self-help does to us. This is what humanism does to us. It, it says, look, there are these things in your life that need power, that need change. There's these ways you want to grow. And the way you do that is you find the strength in yourself. And it's just, what's the word? Foolish. It's foolish to live this way. And so Paul is writing to these new believers and these first generation Christians to, to help them understand that that approach isn't gonna work. Um, I wanna just put up on the screen here a, a, a distinction between what we're talking about, the distinction between self-improvement and spirit empowerment. So you can kind of see which lane you're in when it comes to becoming who God made you to be. There's a self-improvement lane, spirit empowerment lane. Self-improvement, of course, the focus is on self. It's all about, all about you. It's kind of the New Year's resolution approach to life where you're just constantly focusing on all these things that need to be different, all the ways that you need to change you. The Spirit empowerment approach, keyword is spirit. It's this recognition that these things do matter. Transformation and growth over here is important, but the way it happens is by the spirit. It, it all comes from the Holy Spirit. And so instead of focusing and obsessing on each one of these characteristics or behaviors or, or qualities, we focus on growing in the spirit, or as Paul says, keeping step in the spirit, and then it starts to grow in our lives. Um, the focus of self-improvement is production. The focus of spirit empowerment is connection. Production focuses on output. It focuses on 
being able to show on the outside, here's what I've been able to get done and accomplish. Instead, spirit empowerment focuses on connection and that through that connection, transformation takes place. Foundation for self-improvement is religion, or you could put the word trying here if you want, but it's, it's thinking that keeping rules and keeping rituals is what brings about transformation where the foundation of spiritual empowerment is, is relationship. It's a relationship. The result of self-improvement is, is typically exhaustion or frustration. And some of you get that, like you, you're just tired of trying and it's just become exhausting. The results of spirit empowerment, the Bible would teach us is this, this transformation, this growth that takes place over time. And then the outcome of self-improvement is pride or guilt. You get good at it in some areas, not all of them, but a couple of them, you start to really see some changes, which brings about self-righteousness, brings about pride, which is the great poison to any other good quality you might have. Or it's guilt, where you just feel so much shame and have so much regret because you are constantly focused and aware of what hasn't changed. The outcome of spirit empowerment is humility and dependence. It's, it's recognizing that we are completely dependent upon God to do for us what we can't do on our own, that we are the branch and he is the vine. So Paul says in verse 25, and this is what we'll talk through these next number of weeks. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. We wanna learn how to do that. I wanna say to some of you who are followers of Jesus, you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, but but maybe you're still living like the Galatians were, you kind of plugged into your own power instead of learning to rely on his power. Acts chapter two, Peter's talking to a group of people who've come to a belief in Jesus as the son of God. Like they believe that now and they recognize some of their own sin and they say to Peter, well, what do we do about that? And Peter says, here's what you do. Verse 38, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. And it's as if he knew that maybe one day there would be some people somewhere who would say, well, maybe that was a good idea then, but is it really important now? You know, is, is repentance really necessary? And is baptism really that big of a deal now? And, and, and so Peter adds to this and he says, this promise, if you believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, and if you're baptized, so that you'll receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children. And it's like he looks at the camera and says, and for you and for all those who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. It's true for all of us. It's a promise. It's a promise. And so you can believe this and you can have faith in it. But here's the thing. Some of you have received this gift, but you didn't even unwrap it. You just stuck it under the bed because you weren't sure what to do with it. And so in this series, what we wanna do is we wanna pull that gift out. We wanna unwrap it. And we want to discover how it can change our lives. I, I uh, have a, a grandson who's 11 months old. And um, it's so much fun these days to watch how he has learned to use his hands. Um, he's always had them by the way, like he was born with them. They didn't grow recently. Like he's had, he, he was born with them, but for a while he didn't even know that they were his. Like 
Then he started to see him and recognize him and he started to use them for things and now he expresses himself and he hugs and he picks up things and he feeds himself and, and, and there might be a day where he uses those hands to throw a ball or to, to write or to play an instrument or lift weights, right? Like he grows in them. They're his from the beginning, but he grows into them. And the gift of the Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus, who's repented of your sins and been baptized, like this gift is yours, but let's grow in it. Let's grow as we keep in step. Uh, there are some of you who, who've not made that decision. Like you're here, and if I asked you, do you believe in Jesus? You would say, yeah, I do. But if I said, have you repented of your sins and have you been baptized? You would say, no, I haven't. And I would just point you back to what Peter said. There's a promise here. You repent and you be baptized and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of your sins. A few days ago in this room, on this stage, I had a chance to speak to uh, some of our church family or a few thousand people in here. And they had gathered together from 17 different addiction recovery centers where um, we have worship services every week. So even right now, like we have... Um, brothers and sisters and addiction recovery center, 17 of them across the state that are worshiping with us and they're part of our church. And, and then during the week, we have discipleship classes for them and groups for them. And they all gathered together here last week. And, and I got to talk to them about grace and the greatness of God's grace in their lives. And afterwards, we had a time of worship and celebration and there were baptisms and 111 men and women were, were baptized here last week. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. One of the men who had already been baptized and become a follower of Jesus through that, and he now works in, in um, still in the program, but he works discipling and teaching um, people who are new, new residents that come in. He had, my understanding is that he had a, a 30-year prison sentence waiting for him when he was done with this program. Uh, but the judge saw transformation in his life. The judge said he could, quote, see the drastic change Jesus had made. And the judge was able to take his sentence from 30 years to 160 days. And I was so inspired by that story because I knew and I know you can't self-help your way into that. Like you can't do that. You can't bring about that kind of change and that kind of transformation. Not like that, but it was so compelling that people look at it and say, well, that's gotta be, that's gotta be the fruit of the spirit. That can't be fruit of self. Self can't help self that way. That's gotta be the, the fruit of the spirit. And that's my prayer for us as a church that the world would look at, at us as followers of Jesus and they would see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and, and self-control. They would see these things growing in our lives in an environment where it seems impossible to grow in these ways. But it would be so compelling that they would just say that, that can't be them, that must be Jesus. That must be the spirit. I spent time backstage with a number of those people getting baptized. Um, I just want to tell you, as we finish up, I, I just celebrated with them. Like I didn't, I didn't feel bad for them. 
Like I was so happy for them that everything they'd been through up to this point in their life had led them to this really beautiful place where they said, I can't, but he can. That's a wonderful place to be spiritually. Like that's in some ways the whole point of, of life is to reach that place where you recognize I, I need a savior. So I didn't feel sorry for them, but you know who I found myself feeling sorry for? Honestly, it's, it's in some, some of you who are sitting here and your life is buttoned up and you think you've got it all figured out and you don't. I'm not saying there aren't some things going your way and I'm not saying it won't work for a while, but it's not gonna hold up. And even if you make it, even if you make it through this life convinced that you did it, that you made it, that you are a self-made man, self-made woman, there will be a day where you will stand before Jesus and you will be called to give an account for your, your life and it will be clear that you, you couldn't. Only he can. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for just the example of, of the men and women who were baptized in, in this room a few days ago. I thank you for their courage and humility. I thank you for the example they've set for us as believers. And God, I pray that as we begin this series that you would help us recognize our own need for help. Help us, God, to see that we are dependent upon you, that we can't, but you can, and that we don't have to be afraid of that, that there's incredible freedom and joy and peace in recognizing that we can't, but you can't. So I, I pray, God, that as we begin this series, that you would teach us to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would not just be this gift that we receive, but you would be who we walk with, that you would fill us in ways um, that would just change our understanding of how this fruit grows in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.